This morning's going to be a little bit different, not going to be exactly normal, and I'm not sure what normal is anymore, thing. but uh, I'm going to be doing something a little bit different. This is, usually I'm pretty excited preaching on Sunday mornings. Today I'm not uh, excited to be blunt and honest. We're going to be digging in to uh, unfun stuff today and uh, need, needful stuff, though, at the same time. And so normally what happens when we bring up a subject like this is the automatic walls go up like this thing, and we say, stop, and we put up different, different walls. I'm hopeful today that we could be in a posture like this, and that God would uh, do something in our midst. So I'm just going to ask you, this might be abnormal for some of you, but if you just take your hands just like this as a physical representation of hopefully your receptivity this morning, I'm going to say a word of prayer very simply. Hopefully you can make it yours as well. God, speak to us, shape us, and form us into your people. Have your way with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Awkward, sad, anger, struggle, doubt, confusion. Those are words that at least describe my heart and my mind when we begin to talk about the issue of homosexual behavior. I don't know what comes into your mind when we talk about homosexual behavior. Maybe it's similar things. I don't know where you come from this morning, what your perspective is, what your experience has been. I'm assuming that we come from a variety of experiences and a variety of perspectives when it comes to the issue of homosexuality. Homosexuality is in the media spotlight every single week. You cannot go seven days without it being on the front headlines of Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, Argus Leader, or wherever. It's in the spotlight. But we're not talking about it this morning because it's in the media spotlight. We're talking about it this morning because it's in the spotlight of many people's hearts. Homosexuality is a central issue in many of our families. It's a central issue in many people's lives that are not coming to church. Because in any survey that you look, look at, it's always at least in the top three issues of why people don't come to church or their perception of Christians. Homosexuality is a serious issue. It's a controversial issue. Today, the goal is not to lay out an academic defense for marriage, nor go through an academic exercise of understanding why we teach homosexual behavior is opposed to God's ordained way. This is a personal issue. This is not an academic exercise. This has implications for people. This has implications for churches. This has implications for our children. Today, some may say, are we picking a fight? Are we putting one thing above all the others and picking one thing out of a list of wrongdoing? It may appear that way, and I acknowledge that it appears that way, and I acknowledge that the world is always going to see it that way. Homosexuality is different not because it is a worst sin. Let me say that again. Homosexuality is different not because it is a worst sin. It is different because of what we are being told as Christians, how we can speak about it, against it, for it, or whatever you might say. The reason we're talking about it 
is because if you look at it with a list of other things that are described as vices or troubles in the Scripture, nobody ever comes to us and says, you can't talk about lying anymore. No one says to us, you can't talk about greed anymore. This is different, not because it's worse, but because of what's going on in our lives, in the people's lives around us. Some of you this morning may be coming from the perspective of, oh boy, here we go, political action committee being formed. Today has no political agenda at all. There's no upcoming votes. I'm not encouraging you to vote for anybody specific. I'm not encouraging you to write letters to any representatives. I'm not encouraging you to write letters to any judges. I'm not encouraging any political action at all. I look at that as a complete side issue. There is no political agenda here this morning. I'm coming from the perspective that says same-sex marriage is here and it's here to stay for our lifetime. I did not say same-sex marriage is right, but I am acknowledging the reality that it is here and it is here to stay for our lifetime. So the question then becomes, how do we be Jesus' people in the midst of of this culture? How are we to be Jesus' people in dealing with this issue of homosexuality? We've got a decision to make. Are we going to travel on the exact same road as everyone else at the exact same rate of speed in the exact same vehicle? I knew a young man that uh, had been part of youth ministry that I was involved with. He's not a young man anymore, but moved on. And when he drives in Sioux Falls, he never uses any of the main roads. He always uses side roads. I always thought it's kind of weird, like this takes extra time to get somewhere. The thought process was, if you stay off the main road, what? You avoid the crazies. And I think a little side note there too is he liked to speed a little bit on the side roads. But if you stay on the side roads, you don't have to worry about the pace that's on the main road. Today, we don't have a choice. God's not saying to us, go build a castle and go live in that castle with a bunch of Christians. We are going to live in the mainstream. We're going to be part of the mainstream. God wants us to be in the world. The question is, at what rate of speed will we travel? And what size of vehicle will we travel in? And so today, we want to talk about how can we be Jesus' people regarding this issue of homosexuality. We're going to take a 50,000 fly over the book of Romans. And the goal is just say, okay, What would the book of Romans say to us regarding this issue? The struggle with the Bible is there's not a Siri that you can pick up and say, tell me where it talks about how to be Jesus' people regarding the issue of homosexuality. And then it pulls up a chapter. The Bible doesn't work that way. So what we have to do is we have to understand some teachings from God's Word and then say, how does that work out in this specific context, in this specific time? So we're going to look at some core truths from the book of Romans and then try and say, how does it affect this specific issue and this specific time? We're going to start in Romans chapter 1 with the 16th verse. Romans 1, verse 16. Romans 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. 
For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men, and birds, and animals, and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those who are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Right here in Romans chapter 1, We've got a central argument laid out that gets right to the heart of the issue. And the heart of the issue is actually not homosexual behavior. The heart of the issue is we have all made an exchange in our hearts of the glory of God for the glory of creation. Homosexual behavior is a manifestation of a bigger problem. Homosexual behavior is a manifestation of a problem that you and I have as well. This problem that's described in Romans chapter 1 is speaking of all humanity. That what humanity has done is humanity has said, we know God and God's revealed ways. However, through our lives, we're going to reflect that we don't know God. In other words, we're going to take creation and we're going to put creation in the place of the Creator. This is at at the heart of all of our lives today. Any sin that we have in our lives, this is what's behind the sin, that we've elevated ourselves above God. This morning, when we look out and we condemn and we yell about homosexual behavior, we better be careful because we've got the exact same core problem. Our issue may manifest itself a little bit differently. But all of us have passions and inclinations towards things we shouldn't have passions and inclinations towards. Can you imagine this morning if all of us acted upon every passion and inclination that we had? Our families would be disasters. Our communities would be disasters. I would assume for a moment that you would agree with me that over the next week, you're going to be passionate about something you shouldn't be passionate about. That is a manifestation of a deeper problem, of putting yourself 
in God's place. At the heart of the issue here is people being God rather than letting God be God. Now, I don't know why homosexual behavior gets called out in more detail in Romans 1 than the other things in the list. Maybe it gets called out in more detail because it's more visually obvious. And maybe it was beginning to become rampant in that area a little bit more. I don't know. I'd be speculating if I said that I knew. It does get called out in a little more detail and make clear. However, notice what happens along with it getting called out in detail in verse 29 and 30. He enters into a whole list of other things as well. Let me point out some of these things on the list. Gossip, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, strife, envy. It's not just the women exchanging natural relations for unnatural relations that do not inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 32, that those who practice such things Practice such things is not just the homosexual behavior. It's all of those things. Disobedient to parents. I think we could all get in line there this morning a little bit. It's an outworking of a greater problem. The greater problem of exchanging the glory of creation. The glory of God for the glory of creation. Today, a question we should all ask ourselves is this. Have I acknowledged my own passions that are a problem? Have I acknowledged my own broken heart? What is the easiest things to speak against? The very things we don't struggle with. It's always easier to be louder about something that doesn't affect us personally. Now, I'm just taking the numbers, and I I, I want to emphasize this morning, if I offend anyone by what I say this morning outside of God's Word, if God's Word offends you this morning, don't apologize for that. But if I say something that you use the Word in a little different way than I do, I apologize for that. But if I just take the statistics of those who are in favor of homosexual practice this morning, they say that it's around 5 to 10% of society. So, a small portion of society. So a lot of society hasn't experienced those feelings, hasn't experienced that thing. So it's easy for us to what? Speak against it because it's not something we are familiar with. Something that we are familiar with, a struggle that we're familiar with, we don't raise our voices quite as loud about. I just bring this up to help us all get in a position of how to approach the issue that we approach from a common place of brokenness. And one step that maybe we have to take is to try and understand what's going on in the lives of those around us because it's so uncommon to what we experience. By no means am I saying that we say nothing, and by no means am I saying that it's okay. God's Word is pretty clear here not pretty clear, God's word is absolutely clear here. That God has ordained one natural thing to happen. Man and woman to be together in marriage. We're not going to get into the technical argument this morning. We can if you need to at some point as well. More than happy to do that. 
But what I'm saying this morning is this. That passion and that inclination comes from the same root problem that's in all of our hearts. It completely changes your perspective when you understand that we've got the same root problem of putting ourselves in the place of God. That same root problem of giving glory to creation rather than glory to God. Because what I do when I'm not willing to control my own passions, what am I doing? I'm honoring creation by giving into a passion of creation. All who take on the name of Jesus Christ are asked to put a bridle on their passions. Everybody who takes on the name of Jesus Christ is asked to subdue things of the flesh. Today, do we recognize the manifestation of our own problems so that we can go in humility when we approach others? That we can come and honestly say, broken people speaking with broken people. So if we're, if we're going to live in this society, we have to realize the root issue. And this root issue is not going to be understood by anyone outside the church. This, this just doesn't make sense outside the church. The root issue here is not political at all. The root issue is spiritual in our hearts and in our minds. That's, that's one side of the coin. That's the message. The message is this, Romans 3.23, For we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God's glory is being diminished by the way in which we are treating these issues. Why is God's glory being diminished? Because God's glory is seen in the gift of marriage. One of the purposes of marriage is so that people see a reflection of Jesus' relationship with the church. That when a marriage is working properly, it's reflecting to the world a relationship of faithfulness and love to one another. The relationship that Jesus has with his people. So when marriage is diminished, God's glory is diminished. Because God's purposes are not being seen. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But there's a second part to the message, Romans chapter 8. We go to the middle of the book now in Romans. So up, Romans opens by kind of laying out the argument that we have all sinned, Romans 1 through 3. And then in chapter 3, Jesus breaks onto the scene. And in chapter 3, Paul begins to argue how Jesus' death and resurrection bring us forgiveness and freedom. And Romans chapter 8 kind of gets to a, basically a one-sentence summary of everything that's come before it. Romans 8 verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. 
If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. A lot of back and forth there about spirit and flesh. And the opening statement, though, is pretty simple, that in Christ there is no condemnation nor encouragement to continue in sin. Basically, Paul is saying here, hey, in light of everything that God has done for us in Jesus Christ, guess what? You are no longer condemned. Or in other words, you're no longer carrying around a backpack of guilt and burden for your wrongdoing. But in Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. God sees you as pardoned. And what pardoned means is this. Not only are you now free to live, but guess what? The record is wiped clean as well. So many of us take on forgiveness as we do like probation. You leave jail and you, you, people get out of jail, but they're on probation. So they, they still have their record against them, right? And they can't participate in certain things. Well, that's a lot, a lot of us are like, yeah, we've done wrong. God, forgive me. I'm, I'm just not good enough yet to participate in certain things or, or help other people. No, no, no. That's diminishing the forgiveness of God. And that's also stealing God's glory because you're going to wait till you're good enough to participate in God's kingdom. It's the opposite of the message. There's no condemnation in Christ, which means you are pardoned. Not only does God say, no, you are free to live as my creature. God says, the record is clean. This morning, no matter what the background is, no matter what the manifestation has been previously, God this morning says, you can be clean in Christ. God's not going to hold it against you. That's powerful news. That along with the message, we are all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, is the message that in Christ there is no condemnation. And then he goes on to argue, because of this great gift that God has broken the power of sin, not only is there no condemnation, but basically he's arguing there should be no continuation in the sin that you've been forgiven of. And then he goes on to describe this battle that it pursues, that ensues. Now, if you look with me back at Romans 8, verse 12, 11, I'm sorry, verse 11. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Here's the basis of the whole argument about continuing in sin. The Apostle Paul is saying this, the same Spirit, that brought Jesus back from the dead is alive in you today. If that power is active in your life, how can you possibly continue in that which that power is adamantly opposed to? So now we have a battle on our hands. Do I submit to the power of the Holy Spirit or do I submit to the fleshly, culturally desires around me? When we're dealing with this difficult issue, we have to be quick to proclaim the forgiveness of God, just as any of us would desire for the manifestations for our wrongdoing. Quick to proclaim the forgiveness of God. At the same time as we're proclaiming the forgiveness of God, we proclaim the same thing Jesus said. You're forgiven. Go and sin no more. Jesus taught, remain in me. Abide in the vine. Jesus didn't say, you're forgiven. Okay, see you later. You're taken care of. We'll deal with you when you get to heaven with the rest of it. No. You're forgiven. Follow me. As we proclaim forgiveness, it's a, it's a dual-edged sword. 
We're proclaiming forgiveness at the same time as we're proclaiming follow Jesus. And it's just this mystery of the patience and the, and the battle that ensues when we're following Christ. But, but the truth is clear here. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, nor is there continuation in sin. So as we think about journeying in this culture where something is being lifted up and approved that is opposite to God's ordained plan, one thing we know, no matter what happens outside of us, the message does not change. Look with me, if you would, back to Romans chapter 1. The final verse in Romans chapter 1 is absolutely critical. There's a, there's a story that's not a story, but there's a line that's awfully given. Oh, the Bible's irrelevant. The Bible has nothing to do with our lives. What we have today going on in society is way different than anything ever going on in the Bible. If you just read the Bible, you find out quickly there's nothing new under the sun. Sexual immorality is alive and well throughout the whole Bible. And what also is alive and well throughout the whole Bible is living in societies that approve of it. Romans chapter 1, verse 32 the last part of it. They not only do them, practice those things that we read about, but give approval to those who practice them. These Christians that are receiving this letter from the book of Romans, they're in the exact same spot we're in today. It may not be the same issue, and it may not look the same in our political system and society, but they're facing the same issue. They're living in a culture that's approving things that God disapproves of. So we get clear guidance here. And, and Paul doesn't give that sense and then go on to say, well, we better shift strategies here a little bit. We better come up with a new message then. Paul continues to proclaim the same message even knowing the message is not approved and the opposite is actually promoted. No matter what happens in the culture around us, the message does not change. Side note that is extremely important. This isn't, again, I didn't say we're getting, we're not, this is not political, but there is something we need to understand. In the political battle regarding homosexuality, there is a major mistake that Christians are making. And that is the following. Everybody's hoping that the courts won't make the decision, and they're yelling about it, screaming about it, whatever anybody's opinion on that's not the issue. They're hoping that it'll come back so that the states can vote on it. I have news for you this morning. The states can vote all they want. The courts can decide all they want. It's already been decided. If all of the states vote something different than God's word, guess what? God's word still stands. We have to be really careful what we ask for. Really careful what we ask for. This is stated by God, and the message does not change, even if culture changes. So now that we know the message doesn't change, what about now how do we interact? How do we, what, what type of meat beat do we march to in the midst of all of this? Turn with me to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 kind of gets into now, okay, what do we do? What, what, what's Paul saying to these people that are living in a culture where there's a bunch of stuff going on that's opposed to God? What does Paul say their lives should look like? Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, 
that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Our role is the following, that we, were, we are called to experience transformation rather than to conform to the patterns of the world. So as the world around us changes in things that are non-negotiable, we're called to be transformed rather than conformed. But we are conformity people. We pick up things that other people are doing, and we love trends. We hop on trends. Churches are all into the trend business as well. We love to conform to what's going on around us, because if you don't conform, what happens? You stick out. And then there's going to be some words spoken to you, or people are going to avoid you, or whatever. So we like to conform, but God's saying here, no, you need to be transformed. Now, we're transformed when our minds are renewed. If you do no renewing, what happens? If you do absolutely nothing, you simply conform to those around you. If I paint a fence post white one summer and do absolutely nothing to it and come back to it in five years, what am I going to have? Not a white fence post. Weather's going to take its toll on the fence post. Someone's going to run into it. There's going to be scratches. The paint's going to start to go away. It might be brown under there. It might be black under there. don't know what's going to happen. But it's not going to be white anymore if I do absolutely nothing. The only way to keep it white is what? What my grandfather did every summer. Send the grandkids out to paint the fence. What do you got to do? You got to paint it continually. Otherwise, it's just going to become like its surroundings. This is exactly what's happening in the church today. And I'm bringing this up not at all to speak against other churches, but to help you understand why we do what we do. Other churches are now taking the position that they say, we're just going to be neutral. We're not going to say anything at all. We're not opposed. We're not against. We're just not saying anything at all. Okay, saying nothing is saying something very loudly. Because guess what? The rest of the culture is speaking. It's not as though the devil is sitting there going, oh, hey, pastor, if you don't talk about it anymore, I won't talk about it anymore. Let's go in neutral together. It doesn't happen. So the reason that we speak about it is because by saying nothing, we're actually for it. Because we're not fairly giving warning from God's word. We have to be renewed so that we can be transformed, otherwise we will be conformed. Transformation is not always fun. Because transformation means what? Change. That white fence post, you got to do some scraping to get it ready for some paint. you got to put on a couple of coats, maybe. Transformation is hard, so when our minds are being renewed... God's going to be doing something to us. He goes back to the manifestations that all of us struggle with. God's going to be changing us. But God's clear word is clear. Be transformed. Do not be conformed to the pattern of the world. So if we're going to experience transformation, and if we're not going to conform to the world around us, then what type of people do we become? One thing is clear from Scripture. If we become transformed and experience God's work in us, what happens is we begin to embody the person of Jesus Christ in the world around us. This is found throughout the New Testament where it talks about no longer put on the ways of the world, but rather clothe yourself with Jesus Christ. 
Even in Romans chapter 13, at the end of the letter, it talks about, you know, clothe yourselves with Christ. So if you look with me at Romans chapter 12 now, verse 9, we start to get some commands. And all of these commands, you could say, are basically describing for us the life of Jesus. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. goes on and on here. Giving just one exhortation or one command after another. And if we implemented these commands, basically we would be embodying the person of Jesus Christ in the world around us. Notice one thing that's really missing from here. God's Word doesn't say, hey, embody these things if everybody around you embodies them. Our marching orders do not depend upon what happens around us or what happens to us. The marching orders stay exactly the same. And it's so important to understand again where they're coming from in the book of Romans. Paul is talking to people who are undergoing persecution. Paul's talking about people that are living under a government that is drastically opposed to Jesus Christ. Paul doesn't say what? Hey, fight against them. Just overtake them with with power. No, he says what? Bless them. When you're persecuted, don't return the persecution. Return it with blessing. So our commands are not dependent upon the response of others to us implementing the commands. Our marching orders are not dependent upon the beat of those marching around us. There's one word in here that I would encourage us to think about. Seek to show hospitality. In other words, brotherly love to the stranger. There was one thing that Jesus kept getting yelled at over and over for. Being a friend of sinners. It's what got him in trouble the most. It's why the religious leaders most likely didn't view him as the Messiah. Because they're like, he's hanging out with drunkards and the prostitutes. He's hanging out with tax collectors. Well, Jesus, shouldn't you be a little careful that it might have the appearance that you're approving of what they're doing by hanging out with them? That's where our minds go, at least. Jesus simply seems to enter into their midst. That doesn't mean Jesus enters into their midst and says, eh, do whatever. He remains in there, yet remains faithful to the message at the same time. Maybe each of us would do well to open our homes to some people that are vastly different in us in their struggles and simply keep the friendship even if they disagree with what we share. You can go until their garden still, even if they're doing something that God disapproves of. You can still share a meal together. It's vastly different if it's a church member issue versus people outside in the world issue. We need to be people of hospitality. Not if people are hospitable to us, but we're people of hospitality because God commands it. Embodying the person of Jesus Christ. So, we live 
in an interesting time. Most of us have not experienced the time when society as a whole, legally and everywhere else, says something so adamantly that is so adamantly opposed to God's Word. So this is a new time. That doesn't mean it's a worse time, but it is a new experience. The question is, how will we live in the midst of this new time? I think Romans is pretty clear to us. The message stays the same, and the marching orders stay the same. Tim Keller puts it best, I think. He says the church has a decision to make. Is the church going to be like a lobby area where people are waiting for a job interview? Or is the church going to be like a waiting room at the doctor's office? Do you see the difference between the two? In the lobby area waiting for a job interview, what do you have? Everybody in their Sunday best preparing to lie about themselves. Or at least put their best foot forward and hide certain things. Massively different than the waiting room at the doctor's office. When you go to the waiting room at the doctor's office, you're kind of like, did you really have to come in your pajamas? And we have the waiting room in the doctor's office, and the doctor comes and he says, well, how are things going? Nobody, I assume, nobody responds by saying, just out for an afternoon stroll, doc, and thought we'd stop at acute care on a Sunday afternoon. Wanted to use up my $25 copay. Right? Massively different. Doctor, this is what's wrong. What's the church going to be? Is the church going to be this place over here where it looks like everybody's got everything together and everybody's putting their best foot forward and hiding the worst so that everybody will think the best? Or will we be a place where we're willing to put our worst foot forward, those things that manifest themselves that may be ugly and may be embarrassing, but we're willing to put our worst foot forward because we know there's a doctor. And we know that that doctor has a team of nurses and other staff that are around them that want to help the church. Will we be a lobby area for a job interview? Or will we be a waiting room for a doctor? This morning, I've got no idea where you're at. And I brought a stool up here for a very specific reason. The danger on this one is just to come across, boom, heavy-handed thing. I don't know where you're at on this issue, and I don't know where your experience has been, and I don't know where your mistakes have been. But I know this, that in Christ there is no condemnation, that Jesus is waiting for the opportunity to infuse life into you, no matter what your sexual sin in the past has been. Jesus is waiting to say, you can find your purpose, not by fulfilling your passions and your desires, but you can find your purpose by allowing Jesus to be Lord. Today, we return to families, we return to workplaces, and we return to a city that is adamantly opposed to God in a variety of ways. The question is, how will we be Jesus' people 
in the midst of that home, in the midst of that workplace, in the midst of this city. God's word is clear. We're God's people by keeping the message the same and marching to a different beat. That beat is Jesus Christ. So I invite you this morning to travel the same road that everybody else travels that's not here today, but to travel at a different rate of speed and maybe in a different vehicle altogether. There's not a good way to talk about this issue. There's not any good packaging you can put on it. It it doesn't sell. So really, it it comes down to simply us. Are we going to respond to God's message and be who God wants us to be? Will you go forth and be the person Jesus wants you to be? Let us pray. Almighty God, we acknowledge that oftentimes we have substituted ourselves for you. We acknowledge that oftentimes we have sought the glory of creation rather than your glory. God, this morning, we ask that you'd forgive us for that. God also acknowledged this morning that we've yelled really loud about this issue at different times. Give us patience and wisdom, God, this morning of how to talk and interact. God, today I pray that each person in this room would experience your grace. Lord, I pray that anyone that has a cloud of condemnation hanging over them, God, I ask in the name of Jesus Christ that you would give them the gift of faith to experience freedom and forgiveness. God, I pray now that you'd send us forth transformed and hospitable people. God, I ask now that the power of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit would give us life. That that same power that raised Jesus from the dead, I ask that that power today would fill us that we could march to your drumbeat. God, thank you for your patience. Thank you for your kindness. Make your love known through us today. In Jesus' name, amen.